Welcome to And The Writer Is with Ross Golan. There are millions of singers, thousands of artists, and only 40 songs per genre at a time. These are the stories of the hottest creatives, the most venerable legends, artists, songwriters, executives, and more. Come join our Discord, follow our socials, and share your music with the And The Writer Is community. We'll see you all there, and now, here's this week's episode. Hey, what's up? It's Paige McDonald, and this is your weekly music industry update. Ticketmaster has canceled the general public sale of tickets for Taylor Swift's tour due to extraordinarily high demands. Downtown Music Holdings has invested in tech startup Vamper. The U.S. subscription TV network Hulu has added six new channels to its live TV service from music video platform Vivo. BMG has struck a deal to acquire Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Harry Nilsson's songwrites. Primary Wave has acquired copyrights to hit Whitney Houston's songs as part of a deal for about 60 songs written by songwriters Shannon Rubicam and George Merrill of American pop music duo Boy Meets Girl. ADA Worldwide, the independent label and artist services arm of Warner Music Group, has appointed Mary Lynn Drexler as head of business and legal affairs. Warner Music has promoted Bob Workman to the dual role of SVP International Brand Partnerships, Warner Music, and general manager WMX UK. Widely respected British music executive Zion Richards has joined RoboMagic Live as vice president. Blue Raincoat Music and Chrysalis Records has appointed James Meadows to the position of Senior Vice President of Marketing. Artist management company YMU has appointed Mike Kadzulis as Executive Manager and Head of Radio. The Beatport Group, a portfolio of music companies for DJs and producers, has made key appointments in its management. Sony Music Entertainment Korea has signed Monsta X member IM to help develop his career as a solo artist globally. Rich the Kid has signed with RCA. Cautious Clay has signed with One Phoenix Live. Tay B has signed with Giant Music. Combustion Masters has added Peyton Smith to their label roster. Eliza Rose signs to Wasserman Music. Downtown has signed a global publishing deal with rising jazz star Masego. Bucks Music Group has signed Glastonbury Best Demo winner Tom Weber. Danny Dwyer has signed with Seasons Music Group. A big thank you to Charlotte Isidore of Mega House for gathering today's news. Now tune in for a new episode of And The Writer Is. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's smash writer is behind some of the biggest worldwide hits to come out of the UK over the past decade. He has won several awards, including a Golden Globe Award, three Grammy Awards, two Ivor Novello Awards, 
and even an Academy Award. With all that in the past, you'd think this guy would be done and dusted. But no, he's never stopped. Of course, he's written with many, but his relationship with the great Sam Smith is legendary. And in fact, they are now currently riding the highest of his waves all the way from the United Kingdom. This family man always seems to be back on top where he is right now. And the writer is Jimmy Napes. Oh, wow. That was so cool, man. Thank you. <laughs> I listen to this podcast all the time. So to hear, like, have my own intro is just the coolest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I mean, I, first of all, welcome to Los Angeles. We haven't been doing a ton of these in person. So uh, it's good to, you know, to see you in, in the flesh. This is a trip to be here. Yeah, it's nice that we could do it in person because, yeah, that lockdown life was not that much fun. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so last time we've we've worked together at least once, um, but I think of that also in Los Angeles at a uh, I think it was a Gwen Stefani camp. That's right. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about <clears throat> That's right. That's right. Um, uh, it was with Benny, wasn't it? Yeah, um, and there was a house, and it was yeah, it was quite exciting. All of that, it was really cool. Do you uh, do you think that there's like when that writing camp is was uh, at a a house in in Laurel Canyon, and it was very it was a very California style writing camp. Yeah. Uh, what are the differences between writing camps in the UK and writing camps here? Do people even do writing camps? In that, the UK? I remember that experience was mind blowing for me because I'd never done anything like that before, and I remember arriving and there was just like a house full of people, and I just had never I'd never been in a camp or anything like that. But it was so cool. My eyes were just like wide open at how, you know, you just saw a different way of doing things because I just always like worked one-on-one with whoever it was I was writing a song with, you know, and it it was just a massive learning curve for me because I was like, okay, this is so cool. Everyone like collaborates in different rooms and throws ideas together. And it was just a whole new way of working that I'd I'd never been a part of. And it was was really, really awesome. Do you feel like writing one-on-one has... You know, to to me, the more people you have in the room, the more vanilla a song gets because everyone ends up having to agree on whether a song is good or not. But then it's like, you know, if you write one-on-one, then it's, it's a lot harder and the songs may end up way left of center. And then it doesn't, you know, because both of you guys might be like, this is cool, and it's really not. I think it know? just depends on the people, right? If they're, if if everyone is talented and, and humble, I think that's the key thing, then it it, it always turns out great. And yeah. if sometimes, yeah, I guess uh, the too many people in a room thing, it only that's only a bad thing when... Um, I don't know. It it it, it, it 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 can just be pulled in too many different directions, can't it? And then the song kind of falls apart, and you're like, "Ah, oh, there was something there for a minute, and yeah. now it's gone somewhere completely yeah. different." Yeah, and also I like the process of editing, and I feel like you lose that. In I I love camps because you get you move quickly, your mind moves at a different speed, and you you know. But I I also like the idea of being able to lock down with someone and. Tweaking, yeah, tweaking, I think tweaking. there's definitely something to be said about um, the the honesty and the personal touch of of writing with the artist versus you can't. It's hard to get the real like story sometimes, um, or you know exactly what someone's 
what's going through in their life when there's more people in the room. You know, it becomes harder for them to open up um, and tell something really personal about themselves. The more obviously, because you just don't want to share that with, you know, more than or if, if you don't really trust the people in the room. You know, right. so there's definitely something to be said for that. And uh, those relationships where you know often artists just have those one or two people, you know, that they just really can talk to you know not even write with but just talk to and uh, that's super important well let's uh, i want to know more about your story we we've known each other for a while but the best part of this podcast for me is that i actually get to ask the questions that you wouldn't in the session 100 percent uh i mean so let's start from the beginning so you tell me about uh tell me about your birth <laughs> How did that go? That's so funny. Well, my mum and dad met um, on Broadway, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. So my mum's from the Midwest of America. Where? Uh, Kansas City. Okay, so do you have American citizenship? Yeah, yeah, oh. I do. And um, my dad is from London, uh-huh. and they met on Broadway in the 80s. They, would, <laughs> they were uh, both working on the musical Cats, Wow. Which is kind of amazing. As, as actors, as musicians. So my mum was a, a dancer. She was in the original cast on Broadway, um, and my dad did the stage design. So he built the set, and he would do all of that cool stuff. He built models, and you know, he's a real creative, amazing guy. Um, so that's how they met, and then they moved to my mum moved to London to be with my dad and had me. Um, and yeah, that was where I was born. <laughs> Crazy. So, uh, did you grow up thinking that? Because obviously, there's a lot of musicality in your family, one way or the other. You know, I, I, I guess I, I've always said this about um, having worked in in New York for theater stuff. The worst dancer on Broadway can sight read music. <laughs> Let me yeah. repeat that: the worst <laughs> dancer on Broadway knows more about music than most of the people in LA who are professional musicians. No, it's insane. My mom is so talented. She can sight read music, she can dance, play everything. She's just like, yeah, she can she, I think that's like it, it was kind of part of how you had to do it. You had to really prove yourself and be talented in all of these fields, you know. So my mom took piano lessons and she's still like way better piano player than I, I'll ever be, you know. She's just like can can play anything and um yeah she's such an inspiration does she still dance yeah you can't stop her you can't she's um she's a force of nature my mom she's a she's um she's the life and soul of every party you know and my house was kind of like that growing up there was always um there was always a party two brothers and sisters yeah so i've got a younger sister um jess and I've also got a half brother and sister uh, julian and elise who are older same dad um and um yeah like my house was just it was so much fun like that's what i remember it's just like the pubs would close in london and then my mom would be like right everyone back to our house and there'd be people playing music and you know artists and just it it was always just like endless music in my house you know which was just the coolest environment to grow up in how much of your childhood do you remember being um, part of the theater versus part of that sort of mus- music? Stuff? That's a really good question. Um, quite a lot, actually, when I think about it, because I, I hated theater growing up because I was like, I would literally go to every show. I'd sit like 
and just wait for my mum to finish, you know. So she'd be on stage and I'd be just waiting backstage and I'd hear the same songs every night and I was just like, oh my God, this is just the worst thing ever. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, but there, yeah, um, but it's obviously, you know, it was a really important part of my, my upbringing and my family and stuff. Uh, but I was, in my mind, was definitely like, right, I don't want to do that, you know. And I think especially because, you know, that, that uh, yeah, I just always... I, I, I tried to shy away from that because it was um it just I just didn't enjoy it. It was like too much of it was too much of a good thing. <laughs> That's funny. Did, did you ever have you met Andrew Lloyd Webber? I assume you have. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I have, you know. It's pretty Did you say thank you for, like, <laughs> introducing your being the matchmaker? It's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, I have. Yeah, we actually have had a laugh about that, to be honest. Um... Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's pretty funny. He called me about the cats, actually. I think it was like a full circle thing. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that movie was, it didn't work out, did it? <laughs> it didn't work out. It, I, man, I I was with I was with Jason Derulo right before it came out. And I just said, man, your life's about to change because this movie's going to come out. And it's like, it's going to be the biggest thing that's ever happened. Yeah. I really, like, I hadn't seen anything yet. Yeah. But I definitely, uh, uh, I missed that one. Um, the <laughs> um, uh, Shout out, uh, you know, Jason and Andrew. Um, so when, uh, when you grew up around it, it, there's a difference between people playing the same song every night but, um, versus people who create music. But the strange thing is, like, what, what's cool about musicals is, like, it's, the tour comes to you. It's like, it's like you watched, uh, you know, watching your mom on stage and doing that. It's like watching somebody who's on on a tour, especially with like major shows. It's like watching someone on tour with, you know, Taylor Swift or any anybody. And those are huge shows, and they cost a crazy amount of money. And it's like a full production. It's just that the tour comes to them. It's yeah. like you watched a touring artist, but you didn't watch them on tour. You watch every the crowd changes, but the show stays in the same place. Definitely, I guess that's the great thing about if you if you create a musical, you know, it's such a hard thing to do. But if you get it right, you know, it's the it just you can you roll it out. You know, it goes everywhere and people come together and they you know the team maybe changes the people that are actually putting it on or building it or but you know if it, if it can just roll out as you say all around the world what was the moment where you started actually playing music yourself so i kind of like this is a bit blurry for me because it was always music in my house there was always a piano in my house and i would always just play it without really thinking about oh you know i'm sitting down to like concentrate on an instrument or i'm gonna play the piano i, I just would just, like i would just hit it you know it would just be like which was so cool i think it's really important i'm trying to do that with my kids now just like leave instruments 
around, you know. So it's not like, oh, you know, I want to I want to learn how to do. It's almost just part of the furniture. And if you're excited about it, without putting it in their hand or forcing it on them, which is obviously not the thing to do, but just that they're there, you know. And if you want to pick it up and make some noise, go for it. <laughs> totally. Did you ever have lessons? I I started some lessons when I was about five or six. And I got bored really quickly. Yeah. I really hated it, to be honest. I mean, I definitely learned something, but like the whole like sight reading music thing, it just, it, it wasn't, it didn't feel fun to me. It was like making like my funnest thing, like kind of boring somehow. <laughs> what kind of music did you listen to? When you say there was always music in the house, you know, I guess in my head, I'm thinking that everyone's singing show tunes because of that yeah and, there that's was not really a fair assumption no no there was that you know and they were like but you know that my mom my can play anything and sing like all the like standards and you know that was really cool and you know uh christmas carols are a lot of that stuff mm-hmm. in the house and it's like just singing around the piano was like a thing <laughs> yeah. and uh i guess Michael Jackson was a big one when I was like a kid, like listening, like that bad record was like my life at that time. It was yeah. just the, the sounds of it. That was the first like pop music I remember being like, oh my God, I just repeat it over and over again. And it was like just so incredible, the production and the songwriting. And I was just like, wow, wow, wow. Here's a question that made, I don't know the timing on this, but why why go by Jimmy Napes and not yeah my real name James. It's, yeah. a, it's a really good question my real name is James Napier i was actually like i was i went to a sound college after i finished school and um what is that it's like an engineering uh-huh. kind of thing where you learn how to you know i didn't really know what i wanted to do and i well, i knew what i wanted to do but i didn't know how to how to express it <laughs> so i was like i don't want to go to university um but let me just do this kind of music course um, because at least it's in the same world of some, how I can, what, where I want to get to. And um, it was actually fairly useless. I didn't learn very much. And um, it was like a lot of like practical stuff about consoles and desks and signal flow. And like that, that all, all of that stuff was really good, but I was just not very good at it. <laughs> yeah. I just like learned enough to be able to like plug in the microphone to be able to like write a song, right? <laughs> it's enough to know that it's enough to be dangerously ignorant. Yeah. It's like to know that it's like, oh wait, we need to put compression on this. And then you look at a compressor, you're like, I'll just do a preset. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Um, but in answer to your question, there was a guy there and he kind of was, he was kind of taking the mickey out of me. He was like, mm. he, he saw my name, James Napier, and he's like, James Napier, oh, Jimmy Napes, Jimmy Napes. And he was like, and everyone's kind of laughing. And I was like, you know what? That's kind of got a ring to it. And I, I just kind of owned it. And I started using it as like a little DJ name because I used to, that was how I started out as DJing. And um, so I used that as a little moniker and then everyone just started calling me it all the time and then that's just how it how that happened, which is really confusing. <laughs> uh, does your mom still call you James? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Okay, just want to make sure. What about your, your wife? James as well. Yeah. 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 And your kids, they call you... They, call me, they call me daddy's, <laughs> daddy stinky pants. <laughs> yeah. Also, also accurate, but different. Exactly. Um, okay, so Daddy Sinky Pants. When you were in, um, in 
you were saying that you you obviously if you know you want to go to sound college, then in in high school you started to or at least junior high or high school you were like well, that that could be something I could do. Yeah, definitely. Uh, when when was the switch of like of you know. I don't really want any, like, I'm focused in class, but, man, someday I could be, what, a DJ? Was that yeah, the goal? No, I think, like, what was, what kind of stood out to me was I was in school and I went to, like, a good private school and everyone there was, like, kind of being funneled into being, like, a lawyer or a doctor or, like, a proper job, you know. Everyone was, like, doing real things and, like, doing applications for university to try and get into, like, Oxford or Cambridge and... People were like, I remember teachers coming up to me like, what, 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 what application do you want to do? And I was just like, no. <laughs> I, was like, I was just like, nah. They're like, sorry, what? And I was just like, nah. I just don't see myself doing that. I, I knew when I was 14 that I wanted to be a songwriter. And Have I, you tried writing a song at 14? Yeah. I'd, I'd I kind of like always played the piano. And I'd, my, actually my sister had a friend who wanted to be a singer. And so that was, it was around 12, 13 that I was like, I can do this. Like I, I've, I could be like the kind of host in a way, you know, and like help bring uh, artists and, and well, I didn't know I could, but that's naturally what was happening was like people were coming and hanging out and we were writing songs and it was so much fun. And I just got the complete bug for it. What and was the first song? It was a song called Say You Love Me. And uh, it was like, it was horrible, obviously. Um, but How I does it go? Oh, I can't even. It was like, say you want me, say you need me, say that you love me. It was like that kind of thing. But I do remember like I was getting really geek. How many songs exist right now where that you say, you say <laughs> oh, this is terrible. And then you're singing it, but you're kind of like moving to it. And I see no, Joe out of the peripheral, like no, kind of bobbing his head. Like, it was horrible. It was, but, it, but I do just remember being like, this is it. You know, yeah. I was like, this is what I want to do. Like 100%. And I remember saying to my dad, like, because uh, like the school he was sending me to like it, it cost money and stuff and I was like dad I was like 14 and I said dad I don't want you to send me to the school anymore because it's a waste of money because I know what I want to do and this isn't helping and he was like I think he was a bit shocked you know and it, but <laughs> I had like genuine guilt about being at this like school which was like really quite it was a very good school, but knowing that it felt like a bit of a waste of time in a strange way. <laughs> Were your parents encouraging or was there a part of them that was like, we really don't want you to follow? And Because both of them being somewhat artists. Yeah, it's a good question. Strangely, like, they've always been so supportive and also they all, they almost didn't have a leg to stand on in terms of, like, you should get a proper job, you know, because neither of them did. So that was quite helpful for me. Like, I had, yeah. I had some... Um, you know, I, I I definitely wasn't going to be forced into any avenue that didn't feel comfortable. It almost felt more natural for me to be a creative in some sense um, than to do a proper job, you know, like all my friends. <laughs> when was the first time you wrote a song where it wasn't... I mean, at that time, you think it's pretty good. You know, when you're 12, you probably think it's pretty good. But there's some time where you write a song and other people think it's really good. So, like, I think it was about... I was about 16... And I started working with this guy who was, like, actually good. Like, he was actually, like, in a band that was successful. And they'd just broken up. And he kind of didn't know what he was doing. And a friend of my mum said, you know, that, like... Uh, 
Donna's son is, you know, writing songs. Why don't you go and hang out, you know? And so he came over and we wrote this song and it was actually pretty good. Like, uh, and I took it into school on like a cassette tape and was playing it to all my friends. And like, they were like, this is sick. Like, this is really cool. And it gave me a little confidence boost. And like, people were like, can I get a copy of that? And I want like playing it in their cars and stuff. And I was like, you know, obviously still sucked. Like, but for that level of where we were at, it, it had something about it, which was kind of cool. Um, what was that song called? <laughs> it was called I Need to Know. And how did that one go? Oh, I can't do that one. It's a, the, <laughs> it's the thing, I can't sing, so like, I just, but this guy had a great voice. He's like a real... Did you know him before when you say that it was a band like... I was, knew his music, yeah. He was yeah. in a band called Damage, uh-huh. and they were kind of, they had some yeah. like UK hits. Yeah. And so I was just so excited, like that anyone that, you know, it was an amazing start. I was always thinking like, what is he doing here? Like, like in my bedroom, like surely he knows somebody better that he could be making music with than like this little kid that doesn't know what he's doing but you know he kind of gave me a shot and so like and the band was pretty like did really well yeah they were like they 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 had like some hit records like some really like records that i i loved um so yeah that was really cool and then i kind of was uh, my confidence was growing a little bit and i could i knew i could you know kind of host people and and i've always believed that i could you know make something you know and my dad said something that really stuck with me which was cool and he thought about this in a completely different way but um he's like don't ever just stare at a blank space you know or a blank piece of paper it's because his his world's so visual he's always just like look if you're trying to think of something you want to build just throw something in it like throw a matchbox just make a start and then you go oh you know what that's that's not right you have to turn it this way around and actually if you put it like that that's kind of cool because it casts a shadow and then maybe you know you just start do something and that really stuck with me in a musical sense because you know as songwriters it's kind of scary you go into a room and nobody knows each other it's like the whole thing is much is psychological as well it's like how do you start where do you start and the answer is you just start somewhere don't you as you know just have a conversation learn something about somebody and like every time something you know cool comes out of it and it's different every time yeah almost uh, it's this thing where like people start scrolling on social media looking for ideas or doing stuff like that and then i think you end up with this homogenized idea because everyone else is doing the same thing and people are all posting their highlights and it becomes this um it becomes difficult in a weird sort of way harder to have something that's unique versus if you just open a book you know, and, and it, uh, everyone has these coffee table books or things like that in their studios, and yet no one no one ever opens that up. They just start scrolling on their phone. It's, it's like, true, no, right? Man, there's the these- number of songs that have been written because, I mean, I, I just heard a story about that Watermelon Sugar, Harry Styles, yeah. they were looking for a lyric and it was in a coffee book or there was yeah. something that just said it there, you know. You have to ask those guys how that song was written. But... Um, that's exactly what you're saying. You know, there's inspiration everywhere. So it's just about kind of like, yeah, just using Two it. Two things that you said that are really interesting. One is I really like that you describe writing with people as hosting them. <laughs> because I, I I try to explain to writers that are part of my publishing company, I always say, you know, you guys are in the service business. You're serving the artist and the artist is serving their audience. 
So if you can take some of that meta point of view that your job is not to be, hey, look at my skill set as a songwriter, you have a, you have a shot. 100%. But if you're here to try to show your musicality, then you should go and do an artist project for that. And then when you want to do the the writing, you're in the service business. And 100%. so I love that you call it hosting, and I think I'm going to steal that. Where did that <laughs> Where did that come from? Were you always, you said like at 12 years old, oh, I could host. Yeah, it just felt like that, you know, because especially you're inviting someone into your space. So it's like just on a very basic level, you know, you're making cups of tea, you're hosting. <laughs> I've yeah. never really thought about it like that, but I think it's it's important to be a good host, you know, and to... um to 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 make conversation, you know, and to like get to know somebody, and those are just basic human skills, but they're very much associated with with songwriting. And I think if you can do that, then you make people feel comfortable. Yeah, I've never really quite understood why people open up to me, but it's been a really amazing thing because it's like I kind of feel like part therapist too right, as a songwriter and. To have to gain people's trust where they feel like comfortable with you enough to share their story is such a such a humbling, amazing thing. You know, it's quite a precious thing. So yeah, I feel like yeah, very, very lucky that, that that's the case. What about when you have to share a story? Who do you share your stories with? Well, you have you know, that's the other thing. You can't you have to meet people halfway, you know, as a songwriter. So relate to whatever that thing is, if, even if it's a bit scary. I find that if you can tell a little bit of yourself, give a piece of yourself into that story, then that it just works to, to for everyone to really, like, be more invested in it and to, you know, perhaps talk that bit further and get that more that most personal lyric out somehow. You know, you can't just let the artist, you know... In a way, it's it's a it's a bit of a, um, a uh, is is kind of saying uh, different. Oh, so I've lost my train of thought with that. <laughs> well, I mean, you were talking about meeting halfway and 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 sharing like finding yourself in the story with them while you're releasing things. But one of the other things you said that was fascinating to me, um, which we found in other hit songwriters, that you said I can't really sing. No. So You've you, released music, though, so you're kind of full Not of shit. really. It was like... You <laughs> but, know. <laughs> like but, but on the other hand, you know, what does that mean, you can't sing? It, it, just, it just means that I don't like the sound of my voice, you know? It's like... And I also know that, like, people... I've worked with so many amazing singers that I'm like... I would always prefer to hear something I've written sung properly, <laughs> you know? And it's like, there's no... I also think there's an important thing with having no ego in that, you know, and just going, would it sound better if so-and-so sang this? Yeah, absolutely it would, you know? So it's like, why would I try and sing it myself? <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there must be, you know, I being a, a, a creative is really interesting because I think there's a perception that you are, especially on the songwriter-producer side, that that you is somewhere in there aspire to be the one who's in front of the 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 whatever the yeah, screen. Yeah. And and in reality, no, this is a safe. Like, if you're a great singer, doesn't mean that you want to be singing in front of people. Hundred percent. And then and then being in a in a studio is a safe place to be a, to sing every day in front of people who. Are there to hear you sing, and and they'll edit you, and all these things, and you could sing all day, and you don't have to worry about the stress of performing. Like just like being a bad singer, it's like 
This is also a safe place for you to be creative and no one's going to judge how bad of a singer you are. 100%. I actually think it falls in the favor of the songwriter artist to be a bad singer because if you kind of just belt stuff out and it sounds horrible, but you know where you, you know, you hear melodies and you contribute them, but then the artist is also thinking, well, that's cool that the melody's cool, but I know it's going to sound a hell of a lot better when I step up to the microphone. You know, that's a good thing. It's like if you, if I could sing like Sam, you know, then at the end of the day, you'd be like, well, it just should be, that's it. The artist would be like, well, I'm not going to beat that. <laughs> Which is probably where John Legend found himself, right? Because he started as a songwriter and there's that great story where he wrote Ordinary People and he was going to give it to the Black Eyed Peas and then he sang it in, and they were like, that's your record. Like, there's no point in like, will I am trying to do, you know what I mean? It was just like, no. And it's cool that they, they could see that. And that was the start of him being like, believing in, in himself as an artist. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, some of that's confidence. You know, obviously, I don't, you know, Gaga did it, and so did Julia Michaels, and a lot of songwriters where people said, "Hey, you should try this and 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 do it." It also doesn't work often, you know. More often like, than hey, not, you, right? Hey, you should release this song, and it's like, you know, "Ordinary People" was a great song performed by a great singer, but it, there have been great songs that have been performed by great singers that haven't worked, and then all of a sudden you're hundred you're on tour for you know eighteen months when you could have been in the studio. I think for me, it was never my ambition or dream, which is quite rare. I think a lot of people do start out as a writer to then kind of live that dream of getting on stage. But I don't want to jump too far, but there is a there is a time where you do release music. So you're like, where did that come from? If you say that it never was, why did you do it? You know what? I kind of... It was a weird time. I was so many things being thrown at me because, like, things kind of went ballistic. And, like, I we, we were winning all these awards and all this stuff. I was having all these songs. And to be honest with you, it's just, like, there was just, like, loads of record deals and people, like, throwing stuff at me. And I was like, well, you know what? Why not kind of thing? But it wasn't like, oh, this has always been in my heart to do it, you know, like, visualizing myself on mm. the stage. So I kind of tr- dipped my toe into it. And, and I was, like, very quickly was like, you know what? I like being the host. <laughs> yeah. It was like, you know, it was, it, was, it was fun to try, but I was very much... I just really enjoy my role. I really do, genuinely. And there's no, like, oh, I need to... My favorite thing in the world is going to, like, Glastonbury Festival and being in the audience and listening to, like, big artists play my songs. That's the coolest buzz I'll ever have. Like, it's my favorite thing. And being completely anonymous and just, like... But it, it, there being like thousands and thousands of people, that's the coolest shit ever for me. <laughs> totally. And I don't think people discuss enough when some when a songwriter is successful and has those moments, a lot of opportunities come their way. And there's, you know, there are books about the power of no. There's a book called Essentialism. There are a bunch of these books that people should read about how to say no to things because we all get trapped in saying, man, that's, you know, this is, this is a very privileged thing to say, but it often feels like, well, that's free money. Somebody's going to say like, hey, we'll give you a shot at 
being an executive. You see a lot of people becoming executives. You see a lot of people becoming a lot of things other than their vocation. 100%. And rarely do you have the the guy who keeps their head down or, or girl, it's not a yeah. gender thing, but somebody who keeps their head down and just hustles being what they do. Yeah, but also it's, it's okay to try things, you know. It's okay to... Because you have to try things to know, you know. Sometimes there's questions there. You go, well, maybe what if I started a company, you know. And it's like, then you do it and you're like, oh, this is a lot more work than I thought. It's not as simple as just, you know, I thought it was much easier than this. So you learn, you know, and then you kind of really find your way, you know, and you you see where your strengths are and, you know, what you enjoy doing. And and that's it. When you graduated from Sound... University. I love that that's what it's called. Um, <laughs> there's still a break between that and, you know, your first cut. You know, yeah. there's like, a, what did you do between school and, you know, I suppose the Eliza Doolittle album actually opened a lot of doors for a lot of people. I got to work with her right after that. She Sick. was like, you know, she was, you know, Rollerblades was a big song. Yeah. It kind of blew up. So, so that, being Eliza, close to that. Eliza is my sister's friend that I talked about. So no way. Yeah. So that Say You Love Me song was with Eliza. That was the first song I ever wrote and I think she ever wrote. So we kind of really helped each other to like learn how to write songs and, and you know, understand what it's what 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 it's like to to make music you know we were just figuring it out as we went along but she could sing great and i could play the piano a little bit and that was it <laughs> that's crazy i i i've only had a few songs that really were specific to the uk usually there were songs written here that did something there but we did a song called let it rain and i just remember her being i love that song i, I just re- <laughs> i just remember you know just loving that she she knows who she is in a studio, and it was you know it's you work with a lot of singers that don't necessarily have a, who aren't sure who they want to be, and at the time she was really sure who she wanted to be, so it was really definitely fun and, to write. And that was but, my first cut I ever had was when yeah. she had a record deal, and a, 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 we wrote a thousand songs, but I got one cut on her album. I was kind of the guy who did all the work, and then like when she got signed, yeah. there was like all the people that actually were good and you know established. And so that was a big lesson for me in terms of like, okay, like I can really put all these hours in and still kind of, you know, it was just a tough thing. I like, it was a humbling thing. How do you prevent that from happening? You can't, you know, that's the truth, but you just have to keep going. So I got one cut, which was a great start. You know, that was like, I kind of in my head was like, I've made it now, you know, I've got a cut on a major label. This is so exciting. This is the start of something not made it, but this is at least the start of what I want to be doing. And um, if your goal is to be a professional songwriter and you have a song out on a prof- on a major label artist, it was a big it deal. Absolutely, it was, was my absolute dream. But then it was I came crashing back down to earth again <laughs> because I didn't have any other cuts uh, for like years yeah. after that, and. Um, uh, it was a really quite a challenging time to be honest. How did you? What you know when you graduate? You didn't even graduate. You said like you only did a year there. So you're telling your parents like, no, nah, no, nah, I want to do this. I don't want to be. Yeah. You know, how did you not feel the pressure of regular life being? I you did know? feel the pressure. Is the honest answer. Yeah. And there's a few moments like, like my mom took me to one side and was like, you know, I, you know, I love you and this, but this, you, might, you should maybe start thinking about 
looking at some other things you could be doing, you know, like, because she just, if out of pure love, you know, and she just wanted to make sure that I was okay. But, you know, she could also see that I'm still living at home and I don't have any music coming out and I'm trying hard, I'm DJing all the time, two, three nights a week. That's how you're paying your... That's how I paid, yeah. you know, just like... and uh, just Where were you DJing? All over London, anywhere, yeah. you know, it was just like... It was fun for Did a time. Did you have like an agent who's helping you with that? Or were kind you of like an agent, but everyone yeah. like took all the money, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> you so made you get, no a couple, you get a hundred bucks or yeah, a literally hundred, or whatever. Literally a yeah. hundred, hundred uh, quid, quid or whatever, yeah. And, and, but that's great for me, you know. I could do that for like one or two nights a week and be able to like eat and do basic things. But that was kind of became my life and it was like not felt like it wasn't really going anywhere. But it was, you know, I was doing my 10,000 hours and I was writing songs all in between all of those things, always, you know, obsessed and practicing and writing and just, you know, doing it, getting it wrong until you get it right, you know, a thousand or a thousand shit songs. And then, like, you know, I was ready for when that moment came. Yeah, <laughs> but that's the key, right? It's not that, you know, you, it wasn't the specific song that you were writing in the thousand. It was that you were ready for when the wave came that you could continue at that pace. It's not, it's not that if, if you have that song that's a hit and you are not prepared to follow it up, if that Eliza song becomes a worldwide smash and you are not ready to follow that up, you go into all these sessions and people don't want to work with you again because you can't handle that kind of, uh, especially when you're younger, you can't necessarily handle that, the, that 1, pressure. 1,000%. I think so it's you, the best yeah. thing. It's the best thing totally. because it's like I was so ready. Like I was so hungry that when I got that chance, I was snapping their hand off. You know, I was like... And also, it's it's kind of informs how I am still. It's like I also like can't let it go. You know, it's like I I want to turn up to every session. I want to, you know, it's just being hungry is so important. You know, you never always punctual, professional. You know, do just basic things where people are like, well, you know, he he's this guy wants it. You know, I think that goes a long way. Yeah, that's there's something you said. Being punctual is the lowest form of accountability. <laughs> So if you're going to be a professional songwriter or anything, show up on time, show up early and read or do something outside, be the first one at the studio. Yeah. I don't care about the people who are last there because at that point everyone's done. Yeah. So to be the first one there and the last one there, that's all that's fine. But be the first one there. I hate being late. It's like I just, sure. yeah, it's just... I've, because I hate when people are late for me, and there's just a level of respect. It's quite—I mean, maybe it's quite old school, but I just think it's the least you can do is turn up on time. Totally. How did you meet? You know, you had a couple songs come out with Disclosure, and all these things start happening at the same time. But here you are, a DJ. Did you know them at all from the DJ scene, or were you not at that level? Did um, you had you come no, across no, them I, at all? No, they they um. I knew of their music, but I met Sam before I met Disclosure. Okay. I just wasn't sure what the order... How to, And I know the story how you met Sam, but yeah. I'd love to hear it again, I'm sure. Yeah, um, it's a cool story. So I'm doing my 1,000 or 10,000 hours, and I've got this friend called Elvin, and he's an amazing songwriter, and I'm like, I'm just a fan of his. And I used to go to his shows, and... Um, 
he was just amazing. He put a re- he um his record never came out. Sadly, it's like an absolute tragedy. But it's one of those stories where the label, the A and R, changed, and it. But it was one of my favorite albums. I still listen to it. And he was on tour with Adele, so he was supporting Adele at the Shepherd's Bush Empire. And um, Sam Smith was in the audience of of that show and loved Elvin as well and basically became a fan of his and was kind of heckling him and reached out to him on MySpace. Uh, that's how long ago this was now. <laughs> and credit to Elvin, Elvin um, wrote back and, you know, said, oh, I'm glad you enjoyed the show. And Sam was like, oh, you know, I'm a singer. And Elvin was like, well, you know, if you ever have any music, I'd love to hear it. And that was it. Never heard anything. I think Sam was about 16 at the time. And then like two years passed, three years passed maybe. And Elvin and I are still writing songs together and we're working and working with some different artists. Nothing's quite hitting. Nothing's, you know, all unknown artists, unsigned, no one cares. (laughs) But we're just practicing and I'm learning. And, um, we go to this gig in King's Cross and it was a horrible gig. I remember distinctly thinking it was just like the music was just so bad and I was like, what a disappointment, what a massive waste of time. But Elvin and I had gone to see this show and we're on our way out and this kid just comes running up to Elvin and he's like, hey, do you remember me? I'm, I was, um, the, I, we, we talked on MySpace, I'm, I'm Sam, uh, I'm the singer. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, you never sent me that music. And he goes, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it this weekend. And so he, Sam sang into their laptop this song called uh, Little Sailor that Sam had written by themselves. And Elvin sent it to me and said, this is that kid that came running up. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. It was the best voice I'd ever heard. It was like an absolute angel coming out of the speakers. I said, this isn't real. That's not, that can't be true. And Elvin's like, this is this is the person that was that that came. And I said, well, can can they come to the studio? Like, not the studio. Can they come to the house tomorrow? And um, and can I, I wanted to almost prove that it was real because I didn't believe that. But I, it would, the voice was just too good. And Sam came and sang. I said, could you sing that song that you? Could you just sing it? And Sam sat down, sang Little Sailor. And I literally just could not believe what I was hearing. And it, the voice was even more spectacular, obviously, in the room than, than I'd heard it on this, on this little demo that they'd done. And we sat down that minute and uh, we wrote Lay Me Down. And that was the first time I met Sam. And um, I still remember it to this day. It was goosebumps up and down my arms like we wrote it in like 20 minutes it was just like one of those things that was like it just felt heavenly and um yeah i just knew that was it was special you know and all the songs that i'd written up to that point led to that that moment and um yeah we recorded it and i played it for um my my managers jack and sam and they i i i always I think this is so funny because they called me back so quickly. It was almost like um, they hadn't listened to the whole song. You know, they probably got to like the first chorus and then they were just like, well, who's this? What is this? What's going on? And I was like, this is this kid called Sam. And um, 
they were just like, this is incredible. And I was like, I know. <laughs> and, uh, they were managing Disclosure, these kids. Uh, okay. So they were managing, and Howard was like 16, literally at the time. And they'd found them on MySpace. And basically what happened was Sam and I and Elvin had written this song, Lay Me Down. And then they played it for Disclosure. And they were like, wow, this is amazing. So we went down to um, Disclosure's parents. Uh, they had like an antique uh, shop. His father, Their father runs an antique shop in the, in the countryside or in Rygate. And um, they, there was like an attic that the, the boys had used to make their music in. And it was like real grisly. There was like cobwebs everywhere. And it was like dead flies and stuff. And Sam and I went there and um, we wrote Latch. That's the first thing we did together. So we I'd written Lay Me Down and Latch in the space of about two weeks. And that just changed my life. You know, it was just, it felt like such an amazing But it moment. didn't change your life in the moment. I, you're excited because these songs are great. And yeah. You're working with, you know, this incredible singer, these really up-and-coming DJs, but they're in a cobweb attic. <laughs> you've got this, you've got a kid who's got no record deal at the time. So as excited as you might be, and in retrospect, yeah, no, you're excited 100%. about the art, it's not like you all of a sudden can buy dinner. No, I can't. And actually, it's funny because even when Latch became a hit, we still couldn't buy dinner. And I remember like Sam and I both being broke as a joke, and I, I had to lend Sam some money to take the bus. To You know, it was like that kind of stuff. Like, I'll buy him a sandwich from Pret-a-Manger and vice versa and we're just like it was it, you know sam was still scrubbing toilets in a bar you know even when latch was playing because it's like the royalties take a while to come through you know <laughs> hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You do a really interesting publishing deal. So tell me about like why you chose to do your publishing deal with them and like what the situation was uh, at, at that point. Yeah, so I guess they, because this was the first thing that, you know, that really was, was starting to happen. You know, Nick and Joe, who are the A&Rs that signed Sam, mm -hmm. uh, that was, they were kind of the first people to hear my songs as well. So it, when Nick came to my my studio and I, um, I, well, we sang Lay Me Down and that's how Sam got the record deal. We just performed it live. 
And Nick was, it was so cool. It was one of those like A&R like stories out of the music business where he was just like, write down any number, you know? It was yeah. like one of those moments like in the movies where it's yeah. like, oh my God, like this is actually going to happen. It's like, you're, we, this is 100% going to happen. The belief was there immediately just from that one song. And um, feels like a comedy routine where it's gonna be like write down that number and you've never seen money before, so you're like five dollars. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> like, and he's like, I think uh, you know, it's yeah. six dollars. Yeah, like, done. <laughs> so like, cool. I mean, that to just be clear, that wasn't for my publishing deal. That was for yeah. Sam's record deal. Yeah. But the two kind of went hand in hand because we were writing these songs together. So it made sense for me to to sign my publishing with them because they kind of believed in us. So that was. This is also Nick's. Shout out, Nick. Guarantees listening to this. As, you know, um, he's. This is also his forte. Is that he is? There, there are a handful of A and R people who don't look at your credits before they sign you. Hundred percent. I can name them, and Nick's one of them. So his success is because he genuinely believes in talent in an era where it's all analytics. Uh, it's it still has managed to like continue to sign really good writers and producers and artists and continues to work with great people not just because of their analytics but because a hundred percent and that's yeah. that's so true and it's such a rare quality uh, strangely enough and you know it should be celebrated. Nick yeah. follows his instincts on stuff no matter what and he doesn't need the data to back it up. He's just like I know this is a hit in my heart. And that's, I'm so grateful to him because, you know, both him and Joe Charrington gave me a start, you know, my first publishing deal. Yeah. Uh, one, Nick, I, I am expecting sushi again. And number two, um, uh, Joe is an amazing executive in her own right, um, who is like, also is like, you guys really helped her, you know, her career too. So it's like a really cool group of, of people. Um, at that point, they start hearing the songs. You, it's a good thing you have management to help open those doors. You know, you guys have this publishing situation. Yeah. You, he is a, a, a record deal. Latch is happening. Lay Me Down hasn't come out yet, but um, you obviously have, uh, you know, a lot of people feature on hit songs but don't necessarily have a hit themselves. Uh, so you don't know yet. But at this point, you have to have seen some of the writing on the wall. Not to... <laughs> I didn't mean that. And I, I, that's also foreshadowed, but you had to see that. Um, you know what? It's It goes back to what we just said. It's like there's just a special feeling you have in your gut when you know something's like good, you know, yeah. it's special and... I think that's something that shouldn't be underestimated because even to this day, it's like it's, you have to trust that compass as a songwriter to know it's like it, if this is really, if it's special or not, you know? And it's like, it's that same thing. I didn't know, obviously, everything that was going to happen, but I just really loved what we were doing and I really believed in it. And I mean, that, you know, thankfully that proved to be the right thing. I know you, you and Elvin had... You know, Elvin's the 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 person who introduces you too. Yeah, but it, you two end up having your own writing team that gets created. So, what was is that, that hard for? Is, do you talk to is is Elvin the Pete Best of this situation? Like, does he recognize that this was like 
is it are you guys all close is yeah we're it, still super you know? close and that's the best thing about it you know i spoke to him literally today so we you know it's hi elvin yes yes shout out elvin um yeah and you know what the what was so cool about this moment in my life is like i kind of i made some like lifelong friends and like we built this it was a team you know because jack and sam who started managing me like god knows why because i had no cuts or anything but they saw something in me and they liked my songwriting and then like me meeting sam and their managing disclosure and all of this stuff we just kind of that those songs that we wrote they kind of bonded us and we just became this team and like but like real like real friends like looking out for each other helping each other write songs you know doing features with each other like trying to get better you know if i ever need anything from any of any of the we're just like a little family you know and that was so important and it can't be underestimated like how much we we helped each other and and you know I, that was that was just so awesome that i got to experience the music industry like that because you know all the stories and things you hear is like you know it's, it can it can kind of be tough and ruthless and all those things and we all we had our, this little bubble that we just kind of looked out for each other and it, it just made the whole thing so much more fun <laughs> totally I, I think one of the things that's important for um for a hit writer is also to define their independence from the group of people that they they've come up with and and the fact that you were able to squeeze in a major hit with rather be during all of this gives you this element of in the way that if you if your primary writer is the artist then people assume that you're you're fortunate to work with this artist which is true but when you have a hit outside of that relationship then it shows oh that person is fortunate to have you too and it happened just at the perfect time to sort of come up together in a way that's you know that shows that your writing prowess is as valuable as as their vocal yeah no that you was know? that was really cool i mean and yeah that was important for me just because it kind of it just proved to myself that you know i can add value as you know i i i'm I, I'm good, you know. <laughs> it's yeah. hard to know if you're good or not, and then it's like it's 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 like you, you can kind of get really, you know. I think all songwriters, artists, everyone have that insecurity, you know. This kind of makes them, you know, who they are, and to tell the truth and kind of all those things. But when I had rather be, and I wrote all those lyrics about. Um, about my then girlfriend, now wife, you know, when I'm with you, there's no place I'd rather be. And uh, it's, they, it was kind of a real lesson too of like really writing from the heart. It sounds like such a cliche, but if you really just, you know, tell the truth and, and um, then th these magical things were happening, you know, and it's always the way when you kind of just say, you really do actually write your life you know, and not just something that you think someone wants to hear. It, it, it's different, you know. Totally. And it, it, more often than not in songwriting sessions, it can be a bit paint by numbers, you know, especially in the camp stuff. And it's like, right, who needs a song and how are we going to write it? And it's like, for me personally, all of my success have come from songs where I've just really like, 
either told my truth or got someone else to tell their truth in a really intimate moment. And I feel like people resonate with that. And it's like, they can almost like tell, you know, it's a weird thing. Like the universe kind of like goes, you know, you, that, that was hard to do, you know, that was, took a lot of bravery to say that. So therefore, like the, the song goes, you know, that's kind of how, it, how it's worked for me anyway. Well, <laughs> and, the, and the artists seem to recognize that because another mark of, a, of um, a, a certain kind of writer is someone where the, the artists continue to go to the same well because they know that there's an honesty there and they like how their fans interact with that. So Sam, Disclosure, Clean Bandit, they all continue to go to you, you know, throughout this process. You know, when Stay With Me becomes, you know, the, that's the, you know, that's the evergreen that of all evergreens kind of things. And that comes out and, and it's followed, you know, you've just followed a, a, a grip of hits. This thing is sort of the pinnacle. It's right at the right time. The right artist. Everything works out in the zeitgeist. Um, there's what happens after that that I always find intriguing. It's like it's you have a lot of songs come out. You work with some huge people, you know, besides the besides Sam. You know, I obviously I can ask you about Stay With Me and all that, but that's out there. Yeah. What happens after that's really interesting because you don't stop. You don't stop working constantly. There's, you know, writing on the wall, but that's a whole other kind of, you know, opportunity. I feel like did that change how you started viewing pop music? I feel like you aim for that differently. You know, you're aiming for a film thing. You're already given this slot. You just have to nail it. Well, writings on the wall. Yeah, that was a, it. It was just an amazing opportunity. It was just like a pinch yourself moment because who doesn't want to write a Bond song? You know, it's totally. like this has got to be the ultimate dream for any songwriter. It was for me anyway. And I, yeah, I'm a big believer in manifestation, and I. I've always manifested that moment coming, which is completely bizarre. But like I'd written the chords for Writings on the Wall before uh, we, we got any kind of opportunity to to have a go at writing the song for the movie. And it was almost like, you know, when you just sit at the piano and you're just fumbling around and I was just doing that one time and I wrote these chords and I was like, wow, it kind of sounds like a Bond song. And I don't know why, but it was just like something about the minor ninth chord, something. And I was just like, huh, yeah, well, just like, pocket that put it somewhere and it was like years later we got the opportunity and sam was so busy at that time like touring like crazy and they were like well you've got this one shot we had like such a short moment in the studio to to have a go at writing the song but i kind of already knew what it should sound like at least so that was a big head start and um and we wrote it really quickly and thankfully they they liked it and we you know we we got to to do all of that yeah i mean and and you know seeing you guys win the Academy Award is sort of like a, it's a different thing when you see people win the Grammys. You sort of expect that. It's fun to watch your peers, you know, win that kind of thing. And you know, you, you then win an Ivor Novello for, you know, which for people who are in the U.S. and I, I 
believe is possible those will end up here too at some point. But, the, you know, it's really the Songwriter Grammys. It's the Songwriter Academy Awards. Yeah. You, you win all of that. You've, you've now checked all the, the boxes. And then there's this another sort of... Obviously, you, you, you continue to work with the best and you continue to work with Sam... But there's sort of a lull from the level of success that 100%. you you accept, and not just because of quarantine, which also messed up everything. Mm. But the artists that you were working with are people that are at a different generation now. Mm-hmm. The people that you were discovering in the beginning, Eliza, Sam, you yeah. know, Disclosure, Clean Bennett, are now the the next. They're all already older, and you continue to work with the same level of artists. Did you? Did your expectations, were you meeting your expectations? Was there ever fear of not being able to replicate? And This is easy to have this conversation right now. Yeah. This would have been a harder conversation in no, five no, months ago. Yeah, already. yeah, no, 1,000%. I, I found it really difficult, to be honest with you, because where do you go from winning all those awards? You know, it was like I kind of achieved my dreams, which is a scary thing to do, because it's like when you're on that road to just like, how do you, you know, I can hustle and do that, and then you like, you actually get to a point where, I'm, I mean, I was just so blessed. We had this unbelievable run where I just I ticked every box I'd ever wanted to tick in my head. So I kind of had a weird moment where I was like, what do I, where do I go from here? What do we do from here? What, you know, and I think um, it was, it was really great. It was humbling and it was cool because the answer was just do what you've always been doing, which is just love writing songs, you know, and not doing it for any kind of, you know, justification or award because that's all nonsense really it's a lovely thing to to have but it's not the reason is always just the love of the doing you know you already win when you are in the room getting goosebumps and writing music and that's but to still work with even you know and and sam specifically you've always you know that's been somebody you've worked with the whole time and as you know if you're talking about he released a number of songs that still won gold. They were still successful for what they were. They a couple that you know the Stargate one. You had a few that that did really well. Yeah, you know. Um, but there's still sort of the level that that even rather be for you know that record. Yeah, which you know these other songs that were worldwide hits. It's one thing when you're like, man, I'm 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 nailing these gold and maybe platinum, itching platinum, and and some of them, you know, you get some advances, you get some stuff, you're making some money, but it's not like you really need it. So then it's it gets complicated. It, it's a good uh, lesson as, in this, you know. It's just, but it's just about doing what you love. It's so simple, really. It's like, yeah. the, you know, and I, it's something I always, I still think about now because you get. When the doors all open, you have all these opportunities and you can do it, you know, a lot of, you can do anything. There's a, almost too many things you can do, right? So it's the power of saying no is so important, which you touched on before. It's not just doing something because the streams are really great. If you don't think, you don't feel that artist, you know, it's like there's other people saying you should do this, but then you have to ask yourself, do you love this? You know, so yeah. it's like that is such a basic thing, but it's like a really important thing. Yeah. And so I really, I really try and um, uh, stay, stay by that. And um, 
you know, I don't work with anyone that I don't think is incredible. <laughs> that's the best way to do it. Totally. You know, and that could be somebody that's just starting out, by the way. And, you know, there's, I'm working with this amazing girl um, in London. She's 19. You know, she's got no record deal. She's got no anything. And it's like some of my favorite songs I've, I've ever written, you know, and it's like, that's, that's what I love. You know, that's the joy of this job. It's like, not all, it's not all that other stuff. It's, it's the actual you know, sitting around and, and hashing it out. You know, that's what I live for. Trying to explain that to uh, somebody said, I just need somebody to get me in the bigger rooms. Literally like oh, two weeks ago, you know, and I was like, why would you ever want to do that right now? Those names that you think are bigger rooms aren't guaranteed to get anything. Like I'm purposefully writing with all of these people who are not signed right now, so to to develop the relationship that you can, you know, use to become a co-writer over time. You know, why would you ever try to work with the big names in 2023? Yeah, you know, it's like that's that that really will. And it's I'm not talking about Taylor who already has her own thing going on. Like, you know. You want to be part of that journey. But, okay, so before I ask, you know, about the this, you know, current wave, I heard that the new Sam album is really good. It's amazing. Um, I'm excited for you because I'm sure that that, you know, there's going to be a lot of buzz around it as it comes out. But um, at least, uh, you know, Nick speaks highly of it, and people who've been involved in it no, have I'm, said amazing things about it. I'm super, super proud of it, and um, it's we just went on this amazing adventure. We went to Jamaica, <laughs> which was like yeah. this is the other joy of this job. You know, it's like you get to travel and do this crazy shit, and it's like I've never been to Jamaica in my life, and Sam wanted to go and write somewhere. You know, that was different and might provide some inspiration and you know in all honesty i was thinking when we arrived there i was like this is crazy because <laughs> it's yeah. like too beautiful you know and you're in this amazing place yeah. and i was like there's a high chance that you know we're not going to do anything good here because we're having too much fun you know and it's like you know, drinking rum punch and, you know, like, the, the, it's like, it, it shouldn't have worked, you know, in my head. It's like, this is all too perfect. And yet we made some of the best music ever. And it's almost like half of the album was made on that trip. And we just win this amazing place with all these amazing people. And, you know, everyone like talk about, it was like Avengers assemble there in terms of like, you know, all of the talent. Um, but, we all just had this mutual respect and enough humility and everyone kind of let everyone else do their thing. And Sam being the creative force that they are, it was just really one of the most special um, experiences I've ever had. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm so excited for, for everyone to hear Sam's next record. Um, it's out on January 27th. Cool. I hear that the... Uh, um uh, the drive from the airport to the studio is notoriously long and and insane. So, like, you think about, yeah, sure, you're in Jamaica, but it is not like it's, it's not like a resort that you you just land. On. Oh my god, you, it's, it's a journey to get to the studio. It's super sketchy, and there's like at the time it was your G jam, yeah, and it was kind of like it was also still lockdown in Jamaica, so there was an eight p.m. curfew. So there's also like 
you know, soldiers in the road with like machine guns, like making sure that you're not like disobeying the rules. So, it's, and it, you know, you go on like these really bumpy roads and, um, but it was all part of how it, the, the excitement, you know, and it was also great that we had the curfew because that meant we couldn't go out and, you know, get fucked up. And we had to actually like, we, we were kind of like just only in this little bubble which we just would end up writing songs day and night, you know. Yeah, the metaphor of of that bumpy road to get to the recording studio and then having something like Unholy be what it is right now. Uh, as Again, you've had a lot of singles come out with Sam since the last sort of, you know, worldwide hits and some that have been worldwide hits in their own way. But this is like a way different thing. <laughs> yeah. Just... This is this might be of all the songs that you've had ever, this might be like you know, in, in a world where everything's getting really compartmentalized, to have a one of those hits right now is a, is harder to do than it was in two thousand fifteen. Yeah. It just is. There's just so much music, isn't there? So yeah. it's like just that the sheer um odds are stacked against you. Yeah. But yeah, I mean I I we're, we're so grateful for how that record's been received. It's yeah. kind of it's been mind-blowing because it's such a different record, you know. It's yeah. like I think all of us as a team were all like we all loved it, but it was also kind of scared us because it was so different. But that's also so cool and I mean Sam deserves all the credit for just trusting their instincts on it and being like there's something about this that i just love and i i want it to, i want to put it out into the world well it reminds me of like when george michael at that like started doing some stuff um you know sort of like he he had the faith album which is so so just brilliant song composition and then went, you know, and would take risks throughout his career. And that's why he always was relevant. Yeah. Was because he was willing to go and do that kind of thing. And and just the idea of having, you know, world-class voice being able to do unique songs and not just do the predictable, here's, listen to my voice, but yeah. instead be like, now listen to my artistry. And it's just like it's a great moment in yeah. for for music in general to to have that. So no, I'm, yeah, I'm good so job. thank you. <laughs> um, okay, so we're gonna go to this last segment. We're gonna just do a five for five. Let me just list list five things, and you just tell me what comes off the top of your head. We're gonna start with uh, we're gonna start with disclosure. Um, excellent. Just what do I, does it have to be one word? Or no, can't? I don't really care. Okay, it's fine. Nobody, no, <laughs> nobody's knocking on the door. Um, meticulous. They're just interesting. Yeah, they're really so so clever. You know, yeah. and and the thing about disclosure is you can put them, you you could put them in like you could give them the worst machine to make music with you could give them like a casio drum thing that no one's used you know that like a six-year-old would play with and they'd manage to make like the sickest beat of all time on it and you'd be like so it's, it's just it's, it's a real lesson in like they made their entire first album settle on a cracked version of logic with no plugins with and only using the like stock sounds you know yeah. but just like like it just it, it's it's even more compliment to their skill because they could just they can make music out of anything and it just bangs every time you know it's them <laughs> clean bandit um like super super 
talented. You know, Jack from Clean Bandit is just like, he's such a, I mean, I, I may, dare I say, underrated producer. He's just like so skilled, plays everything, um, you know, and he's, he's a genius, Jack, really. Nick and Joe. Nick and Joe. That, that, that's, yeah, my, like patriarch and matriarch, you know, the kind of like my mum and dad in the music industry <laughs> that showed me like how it all worked. Uh, yeah, definitely. Sam Smith. Like best friend. <laughs> uh, yeah, friend for life with voice of an angel. <laughs> I'm going to do two more. I'm going to do your mom. Oh, um, just like my inspiration uh, and just like, yeah, the coolest person on the planet. Your wife? Uh, like my everything. This is getting quite emotional, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, she's, she's my everything. Um, and yeah, mother of my two beautiful children, Jackson and Jean. Shout out Jackson and Jean. Well, thank you for doing this. Uh, we've known each other for a long time and uh, it's... You know, again, part of what we do as a generation of writers, in my opinion, is celebrate each other better than I think other generations may have done. And uh, it's it's exciting to see how successful you've been in not just your own journey, but in hosting other artists. And that's just something that's going to really stick with me is that that is that says everything about how you view your career that it's in the service of the artists that you work with. And by doing that, you're able to fulfill your own ego's desires. 100%. But it really comes from, you know, giving them a, a safe place to be themselves. Uh, so thank you for, for doing that and for, you know, choosing your own path. That's, that's, it's exciting to watch and, and uh, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me, Ross. This is so cool, man. Like I listen to this podcast like every day. I go for a run in, in Hampstead Heath and I listen to, and the writer is, so I'm kind of completely humbled to be here. So thanks for having me. There you go. This episode is produced by Joe London, Hypnosis, Mega House Management, and myself. Shout out Paige McDonald, Kelly Fox, Casey Robinson, David Silberstein, Tim Kirchin, Zach Weinstein. See you all next week. I'm Ross Golan, signing off. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.